over 30 years of advice for your house, home, castle, or cabin. Y'all have things you want to get done. It's Rosie on the House. And welcome to our On the House Hour, where we talk for an hour about something specifically on your home, castle, or cabin. And since it's the first Saturday of December, which means it's Arizona Christmas City, Prescott, Arizona's big day. That's right. Where they've got the parade. Uh, We thought we'd talk mountain cabins. Are you thinking about finding that second home in the woods? Well, it's, you know, you you picture it as this paradise, as this picture-perfect place, but you've got a lot of things that go into picking that picture-perfect place. There's a lot of things that, uh, you know, water supply could come into play. Waste. Utilities. Septics. You're not on city sewer. I mean, you know how I picked my farthest away as you possibly could. I drove around with my phone on all over the state till I found the biggest area that got no sale coverage. Said, this is mine. I I said, I put this property at escrow, and before we got out of escrow, they had a cell tower built 300 (laughs) yards down the road. So you could never ask enough questions, that's for sure. (laughs) And joining us in studio is our Prescott General Contractor and Home Builder, Tom Riley of Renovations. And before we get into second uh, cabins, though, in the mountains, I understand you recently were at a conference or a a class on 3D house printing? Yes, I was at a, uh, we went and visited a 3D house printing manufacturing facility that makes machines that uh, do... um, that mud bots is what it's called in Utah, and uh, we took a look at 3D house printing, and it's a fascinating, fascinating process. And I will tell you that uh, it's something that is coming, and as soon as they can figure out the structural stuff and the code stuff on it, it's going to happen, and it's going to take over like fax machines took over. Wow! It's it's just it's going to be it's a way of doing a house. They can do a 1,300 square foot house uh, in uh, seven days. And, now, uh, for anyone listening, fax machine used to be a machine <laughs> that would send information over the telephone and print okay. it on a piece of paper. It'll be as common as cell phones. <laughs> so seven days or 17 days? To seven. Finish. Seven days. Seven days. Wow. Depending upon the complexity of the structure, they built one in Austin, Texas, that took them uh, seven days to get the structure in place and then another 20 days to complete the house. And the cost of this is uh, just it's pennies on the dollar. Wow. And it's just uh, you don't have to do drywall on the inside. You don't have to do stucco on the outside. Um, so you're saving all these different things. And it's a, it's almost like a cavity wall construction if you take a look at it. Um, I know that the if you kind of just think think about the a concrete block is basically a form that holds concrete and steel to be able to support the structure of the house. Well, this is a concrete thing that goes in a lot faster than that. Two concrete sides to it. Sometimes there's webbing. But then you put the steel in there and you do it the same way, kind of the same way as you do a concrete block. And you don't have to finish either side of it. And it takes care of itself in terms of insulation and all that kind of good stuff. It's How many guys does it take to feed the concrete in the machine? There's three guys on, on site. Taking care of this whole thing. So the one, two guys are usually at the hopper feeding it if you're going to be feeding it sack by sack. Uh, there's mechanical systems that they have there for automatic hoppers if you want. And then there's a guy that kind of pays attention to where the hose is going so it doesn't get tripped up on itself. Because if you can figure there's a nozzle at oh, the end sure. of a hose yeah, yeah, yeah. that just travels along. you got to make sure it doesn't get t- torn up. And then there's a guy there that is there for uh, the computer. Sits there with a the laptop and, you know, he can do a m- multi different things but uh the laptop is there it's already programmed in from the design and 
What kind of foundation is this going on? Same kind of foundation that you'd put it on, concrete okay. foundation. You're still doing your regular slab work? Pretty much, yes. And then you're building it on top of the slab. And are there design limitations? Nothing that, uh, no, not really. I mean, there are, you can do just about anything you can do in normal design and construction, and then you can do more. There's actually more possibilities and potential for uh, increased design capabilities in doing something like this. And it's, uh, it's very, very popular in third world countries and de developing countries that don't have building codes. Building codes is the big issue here, and they're working on that now to get the structure down. But it's basically, it's concrete. I should have brought a sample down with me to show you guys. I didn't even think of it. Yeah, <laughs> just one, one more future option on keeping the home or the second home affordable and in today's article, we kind of talk about some of the different options you can consider. But you know, Tom, I'm, I'm getting to the age where a lot of my friends are reaching their point in the career. Uh, their, their wife is retiring or they're getting close to retiring. And a lot of them are now picking up those second homes in the mountains or they're upgrading. They're taking the one their grandfather built 80 years ago and, and, and either greatly remodeling that one or trading up a bit or two. But we know a lot of people that ended up with that second mountain home. You know, the Phoenicians that are looking to get away, escape from the heat in the middle of the summer. And uh, I think people jump into those without asking enough questions. And the reason I think that is because all the things I hear from people the second summer they're there. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. And you hit two different points. One, if if you're going out to buy a house, then you know you're the guys to to lean on for that and uh, the, the conversation that we'll have. But if it's one of the things that we find is that a lot of these homes, not all of them, but a lot of them are generational homes. You know, Grandpa built it. Yeah. You know, and so now Grandpa built it. With and some fraternity brothers that may or may not have brought beer up from this campus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, may not have. Uh, at any rate, though, but there's this is some things to do, and we really get involved with that. And uh, some of them, we've done a number of them up in the Prescott area. By the way, the Prescott Mountains are absolutely gorgeous, and everybody should try to think about getting their second home there. Well, I'm, I'm thinking for someone who's been there as long as you, you got to be getting close to becoming a NIMBY, don't you? No, not at all. Really? Not at all. When I moved to Prescott um, in 79, there were just a little bit over 18,000 people there. Now, and Prescott Valley had about 6,000. Chino Valley had about 2,000. Now, Prescott has about 40-some-odd thousand. <laughs> Ch Prescott Valley has uh, almost 50,000. And Chino Valley has a good almost 20,000 people, 18 to 20,000 people. And I have to tell you that, and I, I tell this to people all the time, Prescott is still an absolutely wonderful place to be. I'm so glad that there's more diversity there. There are more people there. I think that we're enriched from it, and I think that the growth has been great. And when I walk around the downtown square and I run into a friend, we'll sit in the park bench and talk for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. So the small town feel is still there. And that's yeah. coming from somebody that saw it when it was a small town. <laughs> yeah, it still is a small town. The feel is there, and it's a— uh, you know, you, you get out of with anything that you put into it. If you go there and you lament the fact that, my God, there's a mall there. Well, when I first moved there, everybody's going, oh, my God, we need a mall here. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I have to you have to travel. We used to have to travel to Phoenix for everything. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> when someone is up there and they're considering Prescott, which is an awfully easy drive out of the, most of the valley to get to, so it's a prime destination 
for that second home. Um, what are some of the things people ought to know about the Prescott area? I mean, one of the things I tell them, you might want to buy on this side of Prescott, because if you're on Williamson Valley Road or up at Long Meadow Ranch, I mean, that, that's another hour commuting once you get to Prescott. Yeah. Typically, we'll find that most of the homes, the cabins that people want, are going to be in the pine trees. And the pine trees are on the south side of Prescott. Uh, places like uh, Groom Creek, Walker, uh, those are some of the communities that are up there with their second homes. And uh, that's what a lot of folks want. And they love the pine trees. You can go out Copper Basin Road. Uh, sometimes the Mountain Club, which is in, inside of Prescott, that has a lot of older homes in there. Most of those homes that you're, most of those places that you're looking at in the pine trees are probably going to be in Yavapai County and not in Prescott City Limits proper. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are some, but the majority of them will be, you know, the Groom Creek, the Walkers, you know, Copper Basin Road, those things will be in Yavapai County. Now, that doesn't make a hill of beans a difference in terms of building codes because Prescott, Prescott Valley, Chino Valley, and Yavapai County all operate on the same code. Yay. Yeah. Took, took years to get that to go. <laughs> That's yeah. nice. But uh, they all operate in the same code. So the things that you need to look at are you know, pretty simple. If you're buying an existing home, get it inspected. Get somebody to look at it. Make sure that, you know, it's – do you remember when they used wooden foundations? Well, the wood isn't there anymore. Oh, boy. You know, things like that. Uh, just, I have a friend who's got a cabin on the rim that was built by – you guys had mentioned it, a grandpa in the 50s. And – you couldn't fix one thing on that house without having to fix it all. Yeah. <laughs> the 1950s, those are ancient times. And, and it's on wood <laughs> foundation. And sure. if you're going to sleep, you got to sleep on the west side of the house because the east side, if your toes aren't pointing downhill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there's, well, there's a lot of that up there. But, you know, get the house inspected uh, if it's an existing one. Go through that process, and that will be worth its weight in gold. Then you'll have information that you can utilize to decide what you want to do or what you don't want to do. You know, and a lot of folks just take it the way it is. I mean, there is a rustic value to living in, in a cabin in the woods. Uh, if you're going to be building a cabin in the woods, that's a com- completely different set of circumstances and a completely different set of, uh, things that you need to do in order to be able to pay attention to that. Now, where do y'all get your water? Yeah. It depends. In Prescott, we get our water municipally. You know, the, the municipality does that. And you probably don't want to get into a big conversation of where that comes from. But uh, it comes from wells. And Chino, <laughs> no, it comes from wells in Chino Valley, basically, okay. right now. And there's a variety of different sources that we have in order to be able to play the, the water games that are played in Arizona. Uh, the, um, most people will drill a well, and uh, that's you know, and you can still do that and just go up there, poke a hole in the ground, and you know, take the water. Groundwater is free for the taking outside of active management areas. And so you do, because uh, the White Mountains, surprisingly enough, over by Nutrioso and Alpine, there's there's a lot of properties there that I know we've seen that. You, know, you couldn't dig deep enough to, to find a well. <laughs> well, that's the same thing. We used to own property. We had a small ranch, family ranch, out at the, um, near, um, oh gosh, just east of Springerville. As a matter of fact, our western property line was the Arizona-New Mexico border. Nice. And the water there, you're lucky if you got it. Interesting. So still plenty of groundwater in the Prescott. You have a Pike County area. You need to be careful. You need to go check it out. Get a well driller. Somebody knows the area. Have it inspected. All right, we're joined with Tom Riley of Renovations here in our On the House Hour talking about that little mountain home, second home paradise getaway for your home, castle. All right, I guess in, in this particular case, 
cabin. All right, joined with our returning guest, an award-winning contractor, Tom Riley of Renovations. Y'all were pretty much the charter member for Northern Arizona, and uh, the, the awards that y'all have been received nationally, uh, quite extensive. Well, we've got, yeah, we've done a number of national awards. We, uh, we were named the uh, Big 50, which basically is for one year, you can only get it one time. And uh, we're among the top 50 contractors in North America, basically. And that was, you know, being named on that as a very, very prestigious award in our industry. And then consistently, we are part of uh, Remodeling Magazine's 550 and Qualified Remodelers Magazine's top 500 uh, contractors in the United States and, and Canada. And y'all work all over the whole Yavapai County, or are there areas? Uh, we're pretty to much in the Quad City areas and the, all the surrounding county land that's around that. We've num- won a number of design awards. You know, I'm an architect as well as a as as well as a contractor, so got to win a design award. And if you want to see some award winning design, you really ought to go on to Tom's website. That which that, we actually that, we have a new one under construction. It's www.renovationsaz. Oh, boy, there's some beautiful work on there. And we talked about water sources in the last segment. What about power? If you're moving to the mountains, who's your power provider? APS. APS exclusively in that area is going to be your power provider. And that's a good point to bring up, Romy, because there used to be a time when APS would take their power 1,000 feet or so, you know, from wherever their source is to your cabin. Uh, No more. No, and no, you got to pay for it now. So you need to find out where the power, the nearest power line is, and you usually have to pay APS to bring that power to your house anymore. Interesting. I, the last time I built my home in Whitman, they were still paying for it then. So yeah. it's relatively new, last it is. decade. Mm-hmm. You need to check on that. You know, if the power line is 200 feet away, then you know, and it's going to be overhead. Then I think they do that. But if it's uh, something beyond a certain distance, you need to check with the local APS office and make sure that you have power in that proximity if you're buying some raw land. Now, a lot of homes in the mountain areas are dual energy. Yes. uh, Typically, what you'll find is uh, most of the homes outside of the metropolitan areas um, are propane. Uh, Unisource is the natural gas, but there isn't that much natural gas way back in the pines. Some areas, yes. Some areas, no. Because natural gas would be piped. The propane is the tank that's placed on site that you have to have somebody come fill. Not somebody. You need Barrett propane. (laughs) (laughs) Who will be joining us next break? (laughs) So, you know, yes, it's gas. uh, And there's one of the things that's increasingly uh, popular are photovoltaics and uh, solar energy. Sometimes people going off the grid, and a lot of people are off the grid, and they have their photovoltaics, and that takes a little bit of work. But with a lot of incentive programs that have been happening lately, that's becoming more and more popular. We've talked about looking at a second cabin that's already existing. Uh, when we're looking at raw land for building, that's when we're looking at you know drilling the well. That's when we're looking at how far away is the power source. Is there natural gas pipe to the area, or am I going to have to do a... A tank. A lot of appliances, I've even seen uh, refrigerators that run off of propane. Correct. Yes, they do. So you could do a complete non-electric on mm-hmm. on your appliances. And you can have propane. generators that run on propane. And there's a lot of things that run on propane. I mean, propane's, you know, not just for cooking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it all just depends on just how far back you want to get. And then what happens, I mean, we've had a couple great snowfalls already in the mountains. There's 
a lot of those dirt roads, they're not travelable for two, three, five days. <laughs> no, if you know that the snow's coming, by golly, you stock up for a few days because you might be there for a few days. Fill up or get down to the wigwam for a week. Yeah, either that, you know, <laughs> get yourself a nice four-wheel drive with chains, you know, and then chances are as long as you don't slide off the road, you're not going to get stuck. Yeah, but you don't want to rut up your road for the rest of the time <laughs> yeah. it's not snowed That's in. True. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You probably know, the best thing that you can do if you're looking at some raw land is, uh, you know, get somebody who, like us, who uh, can come out there with you, take a look at the land. And, you know, we've had extensive experience in that regard, and I know the area like the back of my hand. I can probably give you some ideas to some of the challenges that you may face and some idea of what the costs are associated with those challenges. And that may be something that uh, before you buy, give us a try. Yeah. It never hurts to get you out there Throw your eyes on it and ask a bunch of questions, that's and for sure. That's, you know, it doesn't cost you anything to do that. And I wouldn't suggest designing anything like the falcon nest. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's the tallest building, I think, our tallest home in Arizona, and it's built like something ridiculous, 21 feet off the ground or something like that. Yeah, it's... it's, it's mm. He... he uh, Unusable. <laughs> well, you know, it's just the guy who built it, you know, thinks pretty highly of of, the, of his project and pretty highly of himself too. <laughs> and so he had to build it way high. <laughs> hey, you know, that's the that's the way it is. You can look it up, the Falcon's Nest. Just Google that, and you'll get a preview of it. Talk, talk about aggravating just to come in and out of the house every time. Yeah, boy. <laughs> now we were talking about you know picking that design. I know a lot of people that end up with that second home, and they either knowingly or naively, bought a project. Now, you know yeah. what? I don't buy a weekend getaway home for it to be a project. <laughs> I want it to be relaxation heaven. That's exactly right. And uh, that's, you know, that's the whole thing. We have a lot of people that are outside uh, clients that are remote from us, and we have ways and methodologies of keeping them in touch with things on a daily basis, so 24-7 and and that kind of thing, and some of our project management software that we have. Think hard about the the home you're going to build or the home you're going to buy as to how many weekends you want to spend chinking, sanding, exactly. uh, uh, varnishing, exactly. caulking. We're here with Tom Riley of Renovations from Prescott. In our On the House Hour, we've been talking with Tom Riley of Renovations, our general contractor in the Prescott Quad City area. That Quad City, Prescott, Prescott Valley. Chino Valley and uh, Dewey Humboldt. Dewey Humboldt. See, Dewey Humboldt is two different communities. So it's, well, what's, no, uh, it's what's just, the word just, for five? Just two different names. <laughs> it's, it's not two different communities. But it's the name of the town is Dewey Humboldt. Dewey Humboldt. Yeah, one town, <laughs> city, whatever. And we've got another guest joining us on the line. We've got uh, Chris Wellborn of Ascente Landscaping. That's one of the great things about Arizona is you come just a few hundred miles north. You're up in elevation. You know, Prescott's up at 5,000 feet, and our landscape's a little bit different. And we've got a, a little bit more concern if we're talking cabin and homes in the woods is, is that fire break. Absolutely. And hi, everyone. Um, but yeah, we are complete. Well, I shouldn't say completely different. We do have some some plants and trees that will grow here that uh, people are familiar with down in the valley. But uh, as you mentioned, Romy, firebreak is so important up here in the high country, no matter if you're in the 
the Quad City areas or in Flagstaff, Sedona, um, every year that, that fire danger is, is a big concern for us here. How do you create a, a protective barrier without cutting down all the beautiful landscape and, and pine trees that you go up there to smell and enjoy and listen to the wind blow through? Yeah, because that's why we're all here. We love the, you know, the high country, the beautiful pines and trees. And what I tell people is you do not have to create a moonscape around your property <laughs> to become fire-wise fire and fire-safe. Um, there, there is a program out there called FireWise, and a lot of our communities have adopted the FireWise system and gone through uh, from a community basis to go uh, FireWise. And what that means is it doesn't mean you're cutting down all of your trees, but it's being smart about the vegetation around your house or your cabin, and you're prioritizing um, the, the plants and trees that you really want to keep and looking at the the risk of keeping those plants and trees. So what we talk about is the three different zones that we have around your property. The most important zone is around your house. That's the one where we want to make sure that um, we look at the fuel, and we talk about the vegetation as being fuel in the, the, the case of a fire. So we're going to make sure that we do probably our, our biggest clearing and our biggest focus on that, that 20, 30 feet around the property structure. And that is not, you know, if you're on a hill, if your house is uphill, we're going to look at a little bit bigger area around the house to clear out just because fire travels very quickly uphill. But as we move out from the house, we're going to be more, a little you know, more selective as to what we do as far as clearing vegetation. But we have some beautiful fire-wise communities and homes that, that have big, tall trees in their communities. You can enjoy the vegetation and the trees. However, you have, you know, gone in and selected certain high-risk trees and vegetation to remove to help you know, the main thing you do when you create that fire break or the firewise is you're not fireproofing your property necessarily, but you're making it easier for the firefighters to protect your house. I mean, there's no way you can guarantee your house will not catch on fire, but there's some things you can do to help the firefighters in the case of a fire. That kind of goes hand in hand with what we were talking to Tom about in the selection of materials for your home. You might want to think masonry, metal roofs, not only be fire wise, but to be nearly maintenance free. Absolutely. And in our forest, uh, that is a very common roof type. I know we see metal roofs all over in the tall pines uh, for that reason alone. And when you're planting, not even if you're in, you know, the walker area, for example, where all vegetation is, is tall pines, but even in our uh, urban interface uh, area where our city, city of Prescott, you know, is transitioning into the national forest, there are some smart plants and trees uh, to plant. Some that, I mean, every plant and tree is going to be flammable, but there are some out there that are less flammable than others, and location is very important, too, as to where you plant. Water is a big factor in that because uh, a healthy tree, uh, healthy vegetation require a lot of water. You don't want to put something in that, you know, maybe your well system can't support and keep up with uh, as a point that they get mature and uh, 
you know, start ending up with all these uh, drought, malnourished trees. <laughs> Correct. And that's, you know, you hear people out there talking about um, Xeriscape, and I hear people call it Xeroscape, and it's not Xeroscape. <laughs> you have beautiful plants and trees that go into a Xeriscape property. But you're right, Romy, in that um, there are some plants and trees that require much more water than others. And, you know, the first thing to look at is the native and the natural vegetation that grows naturally here, the pinyon pines. And as you go into the higher elevations, the ponderosas and some of the, the firs that we have. And those just naturally have adapted to our environment here and don't need a lot of supplemental water once they're established. Um, that certainly doesn't mean you can't put in you know, autumn blaze maple trees, that's a popular tree here um, because they're so beautiful in the fall. Or in some areas, people uh, are, you know, plant aspen trees. Those will grow here and do very well here, but you need to, you need to give them a lot more supplemental water. You need to put them on an irrigation system and water them on a regular basis. Interesting. So, what's, what's the tree that's so beautiful right downtown in the Hacienda and Courtyard, I do not know. So the new courtyard that's right there on Whiskey Row. No, I'm talking about the one that's right on. Uh, uh, right right on, the on Marina, yeah, Marina yeah. and Gurley. I don't remember for sure. What color are the leaves? Boy, in the it's, fall? A, it's a brilliant, brilliant fall color. I've just, I've just always loved so, those particular trees. So they, it could be an ash. There's some beautiful red ashes out there, and uh, the autumn blaze maple is probably the biggest striking fall tree that we have that's common in our area. It's just a beautiful, vibrant reddish color, and they're, uh, they do really well. They survive our high winds. Uh, you know, some of the maple trees out there, uh, their leaves just aren't strong enough to withstand the wind without... Sh- being you know getting shredded but that autumn blaze maple is a really really eye turner so that that might be the tree i'll take a look next time i'm at the courtyard or at the uh and, at hacienda at the corner there and we'll expect you to have every tree memorized on the square all 180 the species the location the size the proper appropriate age i'll work on it Romy. sorry i didn't have that one when, when y'all do strategic analysis of coming in and landscaping uh, a mountain home property. Do y'all take into heights of trees, distance from homes, what I would call uh, collapsible falling circumferences? A- absolutely. And that's one of the biggest errors we see in installation of new landscaping as to not looking forward to see the size of what that tree will be. Uh, you know, in 5, 10, 15 years, um, you know, the same with plants and, and bushes and things. And when, because when you get the plants and the trees from the nursery, they're going to be, you know, in 5-gallon buckets or 15-gallon buckets or 24-inch boxes. They're relatively small based on what their mature um, heights and size are going to be. So that is definitely something that we look at and talk to people about almost on a regular, I mean, almost on every visit that we go to, we talk about the size, the ultimate size and placement of where those trees could go. The other thing as far as placement is concerned, and this is something that I think down the valley that's important too, but, 
is placement of trees and shade trees. Um, you know, in the, the summertime, we want shade. In the wintertime, uh, it's nice to have some sun coming in because our, our winters, although they're mild, we do get cold nights and, and chilly days. And it's nice to have that sun come in where in the, the fall or in the summer you wanted to have shade. So we look at and talk to the homeowners about some of those likes and dislikes, and maybe we plant a deciduous tree that's going to provide shade in the summer, but in the winter months lose its leaves and allow more sun to come in. And um, those are things that are important in your overall long-term landscape success. Well, a big part of long-term strategy, in my mind, for my second home would be low maintenance. I mean, really, the last thing I want to do is come up every other weekend for a long three- or four-day weekend and be stuck trimming, hedging, digging. Uh, Absolutely. No, you got to go to the parade. You got to go to the Christmas tree, the the courthouse lighting. You got got things to do when you get up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're not running out somewhere, you want to relax and enjoy your property. So. Yeah, that's it. That all goes into the overall plan as to what your what your desires are. And there are definitely, you know, one thing I talked about a little bit earlier are those native and natural, you know, vegetation that grows naturally up uh, in our environment. And those are often some of the least uh, maintenance requirements out there because they're so well adapted here. A lot of them are evergreens. They're not losing leaves. They're not growing to the point where they have to be trimmed and pruned on a regular basis throughout the summer. Um, so, you know, those are definitely impacts that you want to look at. And since they are native, once established, your water requirement drops. Are much lower, absolutely. You know, the one thing I do remind people, though, too, is there's a difference between low maintenance and no maintenance, and there's hardly anything out there that we can do to a property that requires zero maintenance. But um, there are definitely things we can do to minimize your your maintenance on a regular basis. Yeah, I bet even that guy with all those ironwork statues of dinosaurs out on Iron Springs Road, oh, yeah. I bet you even has to go out there and clean bird poop off the top of his statues. <laughs> I bet you're right, Remy. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting uh, interesting collection there. Well, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us this Saturday morning, and uh, the company is Wellborn Landscape. It's a uh, Vincente <laughs> Landscaping. I've been called all kinds of things, and, and, and Tom's probably heard it. I've been called Chris Vicente before. So, Chris Wellborn, the company's Vicente Landscaping, and uh, you've been running it now. Is it is it close to two decades? About 15, almost? 16 years. So, it's been a while now. And if somebody is has a second home or needs a landscape contractor uh, consultant for the what what's your travel radius? We typically Yavapai County is our our bread and butter. So we uh, work over in the Verde Valley. Um, our core, our base, uh, primarily is in the Quad City areas, but we travel throughout Yavapai County. Now you're going to have to classify that because you know we've got uh, friends. And Congress and Wickenburg, the parts of Wickenburg are in Yavapai County, and they say, your guys say Yavapai County, but I call them because I don't want a Phoenix contractor, and they won't come down the mountain. Yeah, we work over in Yarnell and Congress. Uh, We have never done any work in Wickenburg, though, but not saying that we wouldn't, but yes, we work throughout the county. Outstanding. And the website? 
Because nobody remembers w- phone numbers anymore. <laughs> yeah, www.vicentelandscaping.com. And Vicente is V-I-C-E-N-T-E. You took the words right out of my mouth. Our final segment of On the House. We're joined with our Prescott partners talking about that little cabin in the woods, your second home, your mountain home, your getaway home. And Dave Barrett's joining us on the line right now, Barrett Propane. We were talking earlier about power sources, Dave, and the, the question came up, could you have a complete propane home? Absolutely. A few homes, they're pretty remote up here in the Prescott area that run everything, including their lighting on propane. They actually have propane flame lights inside the house. Oh, so it's not that the propane is running a generator that's creating electricity that's turning lights on. It's it's a propane lighting fixture. This specific one is. However, there are ones that have propane generators that run the electricity, but others are strictly propane without the generator part. And some people think, well, is that safe? We've got gas fireplaces. You can't even put in a wood-burning fireplace in some counties. And so this is just a different form of lighting internally. That's just a different form of lighting, yes. Although a generator is easier. That way you can still plug in your your electric appliances. Propane won't let you do that without the generator. I'm a big fan of propane generators just because you don't have that gas factor. You know, gasoline only lasts so long either regular or diesel, and you can add stabilizers. But even then, I mean, you, you fill up a propane tank, you could walk away for 10 years and come back and it'd still be fine. Isn't it, it will be fine. In fact, you know, the guy, propane was invented, so to say, just over 100 years ago, as far as a fuel and lighting source. And the guy who invented it actually had a bottle of propane still. And on the 100-year anniversary wow. a couple of years ago... <laughs> They actually opened it up and burned it, and it had the exact same properties as it did when he put it in the bottle way back when. So a, at least wow. 100 years it's been tested. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say 100 years is good. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing with the generator, though, is you want to make sure you get a big enough tank, and you don't want to run your other appliances on your on the same propane tank because the last thing you need to have is a 20% full tank when the power goes out counting on to run your heater and your exactly uh, so you want your and your generator tank to be separate than the tank you might be using just for day-to-day appliances now how do i decide how big of a tank it's sold by gallon size what's my typical generator of, well for for your propane tanks that we would place on site no we look at the size of the house the how many btus each appliance burns and then go from there and are we expecting those tanks, if we're living in it constantly, to have to refill monthly, quarterly, yearly? Uh, gosh, you know, we have some people we go to every two weeks during the winter and some people who fill it once every two years. So it really depends on a your, lot of your lifestyle. Your house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. It depends on your lifestyle. We tell a lot of people it depends on how many daughters you have at home taking showers <laughs> and washing clothes. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and and are y'all burying very many tanks, Dave, or do you are they primarily above ground? You know, we bury a lot up here. There are a few neighborhoods that require you to bury your tanks. Yeah. And and what size are you generally burying? Generally five hundred gallon tanks. Although we've buried 120-gallon, 250-gallon, and several 1,000-gallon tanks. 
Well, I think I, I think that's a great option. I, there, there is something about the propane visible tank that you have to live with in rural Arizona. But boy, the buried option I think makes a handsome, handsome, uh, a very handsome option. Oh, it does. You you can't see it. You just see the lid, and it's usually hidden by landscaping, and it's it's really convenient. And it takes away most of the fire hazard. That's what we did out at our place when we were living out in the big Chino and Baldwin area. We had these these guys buried it for us. Mm-hmm. I had 20%, well, maybe 15% of our tanks are buried. Well, and it's really easy to see when your truck's coming, especially your pink one. <laughs> It is. In fact, I've got a new pink one coming here in another week or two. Wonderful. Barrett Propane is yeah. one of those companies that just spends a lot of time reinvesting into the community and, and great causes. And glad to have you all as a partner at Rosie on the House. Great to be one. You know, I believe in giving back. All right. Mr. Dave Barrett, Barrett Propane, thank you. And uh, we had Chris Wellborn from Vicente Landscape last programming segment. We start off with Tom Riley of Renovations. And, uh, are they going to have 3D printed propane tanks one day, Tom? <laughs> I doubt that. <clears throat> I doubt that. Well, actually, known to say, it depends. That there's a they're coming out with geopolymers that uh, probably won't interact negatively with um, with propane. So there's there's a variety of different would, options out there. I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. No, I mean it's, it's pretty it's pretty slick. It's definitely slick. You know, one of the things we talked about earlier is power sources for cabins and second homes, and the folks out there have, do have a second home up there. Propane is your only power source, and Barrett Propane is probably the only ones up there that I would trust to do it. Well, thank you, Tom. And the website? www.barrettpropane.com Barrett Propane. Y'all have been in the propane business in Prescott <laughs> since the 90s. We've been in the business no. since 1960. 60s. And that's been through a couple of different companies, but... Somebody here in our family's been in the propane business since 1960 in Prescott. It started with your grandpa, didn't it? It did, yes, Connie. Mm-hmm. And then, how and far will y'all travel? We travel. You know, we have about a 50 mile radius. From we don't go too far from Prescott. From Prescott, okay. Yeah, and you know, it's just growing here. We're still growing. I don't need to go outside of that radius right now beautiful well thanks again yeah. for your time saturday morning and uh on in our on the house hour talking about your little that little cabin in the woods